Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in our modern world. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's lesson, Henry David Thoreau, Transcendentalist or Unitarian? Please welcome Reverend George Wolfe. It was in the summer of 1845 that Henry David Thoreau began his experiment of living in a hut built by his own hands at Walden Pond. The property was owned by the famous transcendentalist author, Ralph Walto Emerson. According to Thoreau, he went to Walden, quote, to live deliberately, deliberately, to front the essential facts of life. But an equally compelling reason was to recover from the loss of his brother John, who, as a result of a razor cut, suffered a painful death from lockjaw. While at Walden, Thoreau wrote his first book, A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers, which he published at his own expense in 1849, and dedicated it to his brother. This effort, at the time at least, turned out to be a failure, as the publisher soon returned to him over 700 of the 1,000 copies the book, because the book simply would not sell. In 1854, when Walden, or Life in the Woods, was published, it fared much better, but most of Thoreau's work was published after his death. Thoreau died May 6, 1862, at the age of 44, from tuberculosis. It is now universally accepted that Walden, his most famous work, is a literary masterpiece. To this day, there are scholars who consider it to be the greatest American prose work. Rich in natural philosophy and uncompromising individualism, Thoreau drew on his vast knowledge of Greek, Roman, and Oriental philosophy and mythology, expressing it in a language so poetic that Thoreau is said by many to be the most quoted American author. Two weeks ago, my wife and I ventured to Walden Pond near Concord, Massachusetts, where we found a rustic spot near where Thoreau built his cabin. The weather was perfect as we sauntered along the shoreline path. We sat down each by a hardy tree and enjoyed the harmony of a sublime evening breeze as I intoned a Sanskrit hymn to settle us into a deep meditation, our minds savoring the clarity of awareness for which the clear Walden spring water has served as metaphor. Thoreau, in his own words, describes such a meditative experience far more masterfully than I. In his chapter in Walden, entitled Solitude, he writes, There were times when I could not afford to sacrifice the bloom of the present moment to any work, whether of head or hands. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in a reverie amidst the pines and hickories and sumacs, in undisturbed solitude and stillness. Until the, falling, until the sun falling in my west window or the noise of some traveler's wagon on a distant highway, I was reminded of the lapse of time. I grew in those seasons like corn in the night, and they were far better than any work of the hands would have been. They were not time subtracted from my life, but so much over and above my usual allowance. I realize what the Orientals mean by contemplation and the forsaking 
of works. Those who practice a form of meditation or reflective prayer surely can identify with Thoreau's words to grow, quote, like corn in the night and to experience one's meditative sittings as time added to one's life rather than hours subtracted from it. We grow as spiritual beings by awakening those faculties of insight and realizations, faculties that enable a person to think and perceive more deeply and which, unlike science alone, bestow upon us the interpretive wisdom rather than offering mere facts. In the domain of religion, the awakening experience is usually associated with Buddhism. However, it is also found as a metaphor in Hindu and Christian scripture as well. Thoreau elaborates on the awakening experience in Walden when he relates it to an inner dawn and a perpetual morning. Little is to be expected of that day, he writes, if, if it can be called a day to which we are not awakened by our genius to a higher life than we fell asleep sleep from, and thus the darkness bear its fruit and prove itself to be good no less than the light. That man who does not believe that each day contains an earlier, more sacred hour has the spirit of life and is pursuing a darkening and descending way. The Vedas say, quote, all intelligence is awake with the morning, end quote. To him whose elastic and vigorous thoughts keeps pace with the sun, the day is a perpetual morning. It matters not what the clocks say or the attitudes or labors of men. Morning is when I awake and there is a dawn in me. Like a Taoist sage, Thoreau frequently inverts the values of the world, turning reality upside down. It is said that he would sometimes stand with his head down, looking backward through his legs to view life from a novel perspective. I was going to have everybody stand up and try that, but I don't think I'll do that. (laughs) When asked... What he would do when living alone in the woods, he wrote, is it not employment enough to watch the changing of the seasons? Rather than work six days and rest but one, as the creator did in the biblical story of Genesis, Thoreau Thoreau proposed that we live simply enough to work but one day and rest six. (laughs) However, rest for him was not idleness, but spending time contemplating the deeper meaning of life. Thoreau's concept of simplicity, therefore, was not merely to reject materialism, but to free ourselves from becoming slaves to our own possessions, to, quote, cultivate poverty like a garden herb, close quote, and to rid ourselves from complex circumstances that force us into living lives of quiet desperation, as he wrote. In what may be the first powerful manifesto against the capitalist exploitation of labor, Thoreau applied his predilection for value inversion in Walden, in his assessment of the railroad. We do not ride on the railroad. It rides upon us. Did you ever think that those sleepers are that, what those sleepers are that underlie the railroad? Each one is a man, an Irishman or a Yankee man. The rails are laid on them, and they are covered with sand, and the cars run smoothly over them. They are sound sleepers, I assure you. And every few years, a new lot is laid down and run over, so that if some have the pleasure of riding on the rail, others have the misfortune of being ridden upon. 
It is known that Ralph Waldo Emerson provided Thoreau with sacred books from the East, many of which are quoted or cited in Walden. In Indian philosophy, the culmination of the awakening process is the realization of Atman, or the higher self, as being one with Brahman, the ultimate reality. The experience is also expressed as involuntary mindfulness, where one's awareness is observing one's thoughts, feelings, and actions on the background of inner silence, of the inner silence one comes to know as pure consciousness. Using this remarkable literary gift, Thoreau describes this witnessing experience in the chapter in Walden entitled Solitude. He writes, We can stand aloof from actions and their consequences, and all things, good and bad, go by us like a torrent. We are not wholly involved in nature. I may be either the driftwood in the stream or Indra in the sky looking down upon it. I may be affected by a theatrical exposition. On the other hand, I may not be affected by an actual event that appears, <clears throat> that appears to concern me much more. I only know myself as a human entity, the scene, so to speak, of thoughts and affections, and insensible of a certain doubleness by which I can stand as remote from myself as from another. However intense my experience, I am conscious of the presence and criticism of a part of me, which, as it were, is not a part of me, but spectator, sharing no experience, but taking note of it. And that is no more I than it is you. When the play, it may be the tragedy of life is over, the spectator goes its way. It is a kind of fiction, a work of the imagination only, so far as he was concerned. In this passage, Thoreau's characterization of his experience as a work of the imagination is reminiscent of the Hindu philosophy, of, in Hindu philosophy, um, which... Is reminiscent of Hindu philosophy, which, contrary to the domain of science, sees the world as a projection of maya or illusion. Involuntary mindfulness is first experienced on the deep and quiet levels of the mind during meditation. With regular practice, one begins to notice involuntary mindfulness accompany activity in waking state. Eventually, one starts to witness dream state of consciousness and ultimately deep sleep recognizing that there is a part of the nervous system that remains awake even when one is sound asleep. Thoreau poetically refers to this as he concludes his exposition on perpetual mourning. He writes, We must learn to reawaken and keep ourselves awake, not by mechanical aids, but by an infinite expectation of dawn, which does not forsake us in our soundest sleep. The path of awakening to self-realization is said to free a person from assumptions and past associations that restrict one's ability to perceive an object as it is, free from unconscious bias or the baggage of past experiences. Indian and Buddhist philosophy refers to this as bodhisattva, meaning pure or, as I like to call it, pristine intellect, the interreligious metaphor for which is the innocent perception of a child. Thoreau captures this experience in his journal, dated June 12th of 1852, when he writes of his mystical definition of music. A child loves to strike on a tin pan or other ringing vessel with a stick because its ears being fresh, sound, attentive, and percipient, it detects the finest music in the sound 
at which all nature assists. So clear and unprejudiced ears hear the sweetest, most soul-stirring melody and tinkling cowbells and the like, not to be referred to association, but intrinsic to the sound itself. Ah, that I were so much a child that I could unfailingly draw music from a quart pot. Its little ears tingle with the melody. To it, there is music in sound alone. In addition, in a week on a Concord and Merrimack Rivers, Thoreau describes hearing the beating of a drum from afar, to which he and his brother, quote, listened with such unprejudiced sense as if for the first time we heard at all. Notice that in this passage, he is not saying that he hears the music for the first time, rather that he is taking it to a level of ultimate innocence with the words, first time we heard at all, as if he and his brother had been awakened to a pristine perception to which there were no past associations or contexts that would apply. The lesson here inspires us to let go of the impressions of past experience, no matter how negative or unforgiving. Thoreau's definition of music embraces the concept of harmony in the broadest sense. For Thoreau, music had the potential for placing him in touch with the harmony of the inner self, assisting the process of awakening the genius within. The human soul, he wrote in his journal, is a silent harp in God's choir, whose strings need only to be swept by the divine breath to chime in with the harmonies of creation. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, interfaith fellowship in our modern world. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and is supported by our community. We thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza and George Wolf. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant week.